This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this show known as The Takeout. However you find us, podcast platforms, great radio stations around the country, and a special hello on CBSN. Thanks for joining us. And for those watching on CBSN, Welcome to the big fancy White House, I mean White House, Washington studio here for CBS. Now, ordinarily, I would have no access to this place at all, but I've been given special trespassing privileges because we have a special guest. And that special guest is the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Morthy. Dr. Morthy, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Major. I'm glad we're having this conversation. So... It's going to be a COVID-heavy conversation. I want everyone in the audience to understand that because we're in a time where the conversation simply can't be too detailed and information can't be too valuable. We're going to get to other non-COVID-related questions, I promise you, Dr. Morthy. I've got four pages of questions here. The last one is non-COVID-related, but the first three are COVID-related. So let's start with what some Americans are either going through right now as we record this on August 11th or get ready to prepare for, which is sending their children back to school. First question, why is it necessary, not just advised, but necessary for students, teachers, and staff to be masked at school now? Well, first, let me just say, not just as a doctor, but as a fellow parent, that I completely understand the anxiety that some parents may be feeling as they get their kids back to school. And there's a lot of information swirling around. I know we had hoped as a country that we'd be getting our kids back to school when cases were down, down, down and staying down. Uh, But we unfortunately got uh, hit with this Delta variant, uh, which is now spreading rapidly when our kids are uh, getting ready to go back to school. So the good news is that there are uh, precautions that we can take, first of all, to help reduce the risk that our kids get sick. And those precautions include Uh, making sure our kids and kids around us are wearing masks. It includes making sure that in our schools, we are implementing layers of precaution, which include testing regularly, distancing when possible, making sure kids stay home if they're sick so they don't inadvertently spread virus to other people, and also doing everything we can uh, to ensure that if people are eligible for the vaccine, uh, that they're vaccinated in our schools. Now, a lot of our kids can't get vaccinated yet if they're under 12. Those My kids fall into that bucket. And so we've got to take extra precautions around them to make sure they're safe. But the last thing I'll just emphasize is this. You know, I know that there are, we're still in the midst of this Delta wave and there are a lot of unknowns still about 
uh, about Delta and its impact across the population. So it bears us being cautious, you know, at this moment. Take those precautions. Don't take unnecessary risks uh, with your children. We want to get our children not just back to school, but we want to keep them in school. And that requires uh, ensuring that we uh, take every precaution to prevent cases from coming up and from spreading in our schools. Uh, that's what we've got to do. We've got to do it together. And finally, we've got to learn as we go. You know, there's going to be a lot of new learning over the next few weeks as uh, kids get back to school and we start understanding more about what's happening, where precautions are being taken and where they're not being taken. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got to figure this out together and we've got to take every step we can to keep our kids safe. In pursuit of figuring this out together, Dr. Morthy, U.S. Surgeon General, does it matter what kind of masks children and their teachers wear in class? Is a cloth mask sufficient or does it need or should it be a Ken KN95? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. Well, what I would say is that the, the higher the quality of the mask, the better. Now, we know, just I'll give you an example. If you think about the N95 masks that doctors and nurses tend to wear in, in hospital settings, some of those can be uncomfortable to wear for a long period of time. It might be hard for our kids to wear. Um, but there are, you know, additional uh, types of masks that are available that have a high filtration, high quality. Um, if you're going to wear a cloth mask, making sure it's a multi-ply uh, cloth mask, and not just a single layer. Some of the masks have filters in them, which can be helpful as well. Um, that can be a useful strategy. And there are versions uh, of KN95s that may not have the, or of N95s rather, that may not have the same high degree of filtration, but get pretty close and that are more suitable and uh, more comfortable for long-term wear by our children. So it's worth taking some time to look at the quality of masks you're wearing because with a highly transmissible virus, it is both wearing the mask and the quality of the mask that can make a big difference. And let me ask you this, Dr. Morthy, is there something that a consumer can look at either on the product itself or on a website that tells them this is of a high quality? I've read that there are some things representing themselves as N95 masks that aren't actually that. Is there something a consumer, a parent can look at to be certain or nearly certain that they're getting the right thing for themselves or their children? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I, I know that there are a number of masks that are popping up, you know, on online, uh, you know, consumer sites and elsewhere with claims. Hard to know sometimes what's right, what's not. Uh, the CDC has made some recommendations uh, for parameters that you can look for in masks on their, on their site so that people can take a look at that and understand what constitutes a good quality mask. Uh, and included among those, just remember also the degree of filtration often referred to as a, with a number. N95s are called N95s because they filter out about 95% of the particular matter that we track and are worried about. Um, but that number, uh, the higher it is, often the, the better quality uh, the mask as well. But finally, just remember this, in addition to the quality of the mask itself, Wearing it consistently uh, is, is what matters. And you should take that for granted, especially when, you know, we're trying to get our kids to do this for a prolonged period of time, teaching them how to wear a mask, how to not, you know, touch it, you know, all the time with their hands, or if they're going to be touching it, make sure they are also sanitizing their hands, whether it's with, you know, soap and water or with hand sanitizer, you give them in a small bottle to keep with them. Uh, but hand uh, practices around your masks are, are important as well. Uh, and so this is going to be a learning experience. A lot of our kids aren't used to being indoors for a long period of time with the mask. Uh, so we've got to, you know, we've got to adjust as we go. But uh, both the mask practices and the quality of the mask are going to make a big difference for our children. Okay. Related to the masks again, Dr. Morthy, I have read some uh, scholarly articles by physicians who are not trying to be overtly argumentative or partisan who say, you know what? 
the risk level, even with the Delta variant, for children, let's say, kindergarten to third grade is pretty low. But there are some developmental, cognitive, and emotional issues related to wearing masks for children of that age. And they've argued, is it really the best thing to do to have them masked when that may inhibit their cognitive development, it may inhibit their emotional development, when from their perspective, the risks of COVID-19, even with the Delta variant, may not be so high as to warrant a mask-wearing situation. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first, I think you have to understand clearly what the risks are to children of getting COVID-19. And keep in mind that we're dealing with a new variant that is far more contagious. And there is also uh, evidence from some of our data here in the United States has been reported on by the CDC last week, as well as from Canada and Scotland that indicates that the hospitalization rate may also be increased uh, with Delta. So in light of that, and recognizing that with the virus that is spreading so quickly and affecting so many of our children, that there is actually uh, a real risk that a small portion of them may end up in the hospital, like it's what's happening now, and may lose their lives. Those are risks that parents should consider. Now, kids still do far, far, far better than older adults do. Thank goodness. Uh, and I say that as a parent, you know, because that means all of our kids are, are, are likely better off. But that doesn't, low risk doesn't mean no risk. And we are seeing our hospitals across the country fill up. Uh, with kids who have been impacted by COVID-19, we should take that risk seriously, not discount and not say, oh, this is just a common cold, nothing to worry about here. The other thing I would say, though, in terms of our kids wearing masks is, is, is it inconvenient? Sure, absolutely. I would rather have my kid without a mask. Uh, but our children, I think, are remarkably resilient. And I've been really struck by how kids have really adjusted uh, to wearing masks in, in, in various settings. You know, I can tell you that my kids often now wonder when, when they go out, why people aren't wearing masks because they're so used to wearing masks. You know, all of our kids are a bit different, but I, you know, I believe our kids are resilient. I do think that they uh, more often than not will get used to, to wearing a mask, I'm sure, despite its inconvenience. And most importantly, it will give them significantly reduced risk from getting COVID-19, which is not something we should take lightly, especially with a new, more dangerous, more transmissible variant. That is the voice of U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morphy. More of our conversation with Dr. Morphy in a minute. I'm Major Garrett, segment two of The Takeout, in just one second. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Our guest, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morthy. Dr. Morthy, you talked to me before, a couple of weeks ago, when I was sitting in for Nora O'Donnell on the CBS Evening News, about your anxiety and low-level anger about misinformation, disinformation, and this entire saga we've lived through. What are your thoughts on it now? What is it that you and those in the public health sphere can do to combat it? Well, Major, I continue to be deeply concerned about the health misinformation that is really running rampant uh, in our society, fueled in large part by what we see on social media. And I'm concerned about it because it's having a real impact on people's health. Uh, there has been a surge in misinformation in recent months. 
And it's coinciding with a moment during this Delta wave where we actually need more accurate information out there than ever before. And what I'm worried about, Major, is that health misinformation is having a real consequence for people's health decisions and for their well-being. Like I talk to people often who have encountered information online, which is simply not true, but has led them to do things like not wear masks because they didn't they, they were led to believe they weren't effective or not get a vaccine because they were led to believe myths, common myths about the COVID-19 vaccine, like you can get COVID from the vaccine, which is absolutely not true. And so this is ta- having a, a real impact on, on us at a time where we need to marshal every possible resource uh, to fight this pandemic. My concern in particular is about the platforms. You know, I believe if you are going to create a platform that's used by not millions, but billions of people across the country, that you have a responsibility to make sure that you manage the harms and that, that this that the platform is causing. It's similarly a major, if I was running a hospital and that hospital was uh, you know, causing lots of unintended infections and blood clots and other complications in the patients that we were caring for, someone would rightly say, you know, that's your responsibility to make sure you're not just delivering care, but doing it safely. And maybe you should shut down your hospital until you figure your things out. Uh, and similarly, I think when it comes to these platforms, they have a moral responsibility uh, to make sure that they are managing these harms and the harm in particular of health misinformation. I do not think that they have done that yet. I don't think they're operating with the degree of transparency that we need in terms of what's actually happening on their site in terms of misinformation, where it's coming from, how effective the interventions are putting in place actually are to control the spread of misinformation. But what I can tell you as a consumer, is that there's still a tremendous amount of misinformation flowing and it is harming people's health. Doctor, I'd like to try to get a sense for our audience of what falls into which category, because you can read things that you might regard as misinformation. That is to say, well, there is an enlarged heart risk if you take the vaccine if you're of a certain age, which is true, but there is a lack of context around that declaration. That could sound very scary, but it's not untrue. But there are other things that fall into the absolutely false disinformation category. If you could try to give my audience an example of something that's misinformation, meaning it's yes, it's true, but it lacks context or something that is factually completely wrong and disinformation yet running wild. Try to do that for me. Sure. Well, it's a good question. And and I'll make a distinction between misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is information that's false, inaccurate or misleading based on the best evidence at the time. Uh, but the evidence base can change, and we've got to be willing to change accordingly. Disinformation is inaccurate information that's spread willfully. Now, the majority of information out there that's inaccurate or misleading is probably spread, you know, by family and friends who just think they're helping. You know, they're they're you know family and friends, and and they're just posting something online. But again, it may be causing harm. So let, let me give you some examples though, of what if I make this statement: the COVID nineteen vaccine causes COVID. That is blatantly false. That's inaccurate. But let me make another statement. If I if I say the COVID nineteen uh, you know vaccine you know causes uh, anaphylaxis, which is a severe allergic reaction, has that been noted before with the vaccine? Yes, is an extremely rare side effect, though, uh, extremely rare. And if you don't give the context that it's extremely rare, if you don't also give the context that the risk of getting COVID and then having significant complications afterwards in terms of heart damage, lung damage, kidney damage, and other organ system damage uh, is also much higher than the risk of having a rare allergic reaction, then people don't have the context 
to make the right decision for themselves and for their families. So the information matters, the context matters. And this is one of uh, the challenges that all of us have as individuals, as we think about whether we accept the information that we're seeing and whether we share the information that we're getting. All right, Dr. Morthy, when should we expect emergency use authorization from the Food and Drug Administration for vaccines for children younger than the age of 12? Hmm. Well, it's a really good question. And again, I have a, a personally, this is very relevant to, to me and my family. How old are your children, by the way? So my children are three and four. Got it. So too young to get vaccinated, but we're, we're hoping. So what ha- what's happening right now is uh, the companies are actually running the trials right now uh, to assess the safety and the effectiveness of the vaccine in kids under 12. And as they get data from that, uh, they will analyze it. And then they will, when they feel confident in that data, they will put together an application that they will submit to the Food and Drug Administration. And then the FDA will then evaluate that application and decide whether an emergency use authorization is merited. Uh, And they'll look really carefully to make sure that the vaccine is both safe and effective for our children. Uh, Then the CDC will look at that information as well and make a public health recommendation to parents about vaccinating their kids. All of that can happen fairly quickly, but it really depends on how quickly the data develops and how quickly the companies apply. I think it's possible that we may see a vaccine for kids under 12 that is available before the end of the calendar year. I think that's a real possibility. Um, And if that, but you know, it may take a little bit longer. So we've got to wait and see, but I'm optimistic uh, because this is, again, one of the highest priorities for the Food and Drug Administration is making sure they evaluate vaccine evidence and get life-saving vaccines to the population. And you know the next most relevant question, what's the timeline for full approval for the vaccine already approved under emergency use authorization for 12 and over? Yeah, so for the full authorization, I believe that's kind of co- that's coming very soon. The FDA has taken the time to go through a very large body of data that's been collected. And the fact that that body data is so large is actually a good thing. It means we have a lot of now real-world experience with the vaccines. Keep in mind, in the United States alone, Major, more than 350 million doses of vaccine have been administered. That is an incredible amount of real-world experience. And what we've seen time and time out is that the vaccine has remained highly effective but also has retained a really strong safety profile. So I anticipate that's coming very soon. Uh, and that, but the FDA has got to just make sure they're dotting all of their I's, crossing all of their T's, so that people have full confidence uh, in the ultimate decision they're making. Very soon, the month of August or month of September? Well, I, I can't give you an, an exact time frame. I, I think it's, it's very possible that it comes you know, in, the, in the coming weeks, but we'll, we'll have to see. So uh, a couple of weeks ago on this very program, we talked to Dr. Lena Wen, who you may be very well familiar with. And she said it's her advice and strong opinion as a public health professor and professional that vaccine mandates must be carried out because she said they change behavior and we should be at war with the Delta variant and mandates work because they change behavior and increase vaccination rates. Your thoughts? Well, I do think there, there is evidence that mandates do increase rates uh, of vaccination. And we, we see that people say that themselves. In fact, if you look at the polling consistently from the uh, beginning of the time when vaccines are available, there is a portion of people who say that they're not sure they get vaccinated on their own, but if it was required, then that would tip them over uh, to getting vaccinated, required in whatever setting, whether that's in for school or for work. Um, I I do think that what you're going to see major increasingly uh, in the weeks and months ahead 
is more requirements that come from private institutions, from universities, from workplaces, and in particular from healthcare systems. You've already started to see that uh, increase significantly. I think when the FDA issues its full approval uh, of the vaccine, I think that will uh, make more organizations even more confident uh, in putting those requirements in place. And you also recently, Major, saw the federal government take some steps within the federal workforce and specifically with the healthcare workforce at the VA uh, and with uh, DOD, uh, you know, sort of uniformed uh, service members uh, around vaccine requirements. So I think it's going to increase their vaccination rates. I think you're going to see more of it. And ultimately, I think what, it, what it's really geared to doing is providing workplaces and spaces of learning that are safer uh, for the people who are spending time there. We've talked about masks and vaccines. When we come back for segment three, we'll talk about testing and many other COVID-related topics with our special guest, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morthy. I'm Major Garrett, back for segment three in just one second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to segment three of The Takeout. I'm Major Garrett, our special guest, U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Morthy. Doctor, are we testing enough right now in this country? Because I've read several articles that say we still don't know what the denominator is with the Delta variant because we sort of slacked off our intensity of testing. Well, simply put, Major, we are not testing enough. And that worries me because it means we're not understanding just how much infection is in our community. And that means we're not uh, as able to prevent its spread. Who's to testing blame for is, that? Yeah, so testing is like our eyes. It allows us to see what's going on in our community. If we know, for example, that somebody is positive and has a COVID infection, there's certain steps that we would take. We would ask them to isolate themselves so they don't infect others. We may uh, get them to medical attention faster, uh, keep a closer eye on their symptoms so that we can get treatments to them, like monoclonal antibodies, which could save their life. There are steps we could take to protect them and others. But when we don't know what's happening, then we lose that opportunity. Now, there are a couple of things I think that are important to remember. One is uh, we've got to remind people that even if you're vaccinated, if you have symptoms uh, like a runny nose, a sore throat, sinus symptoms, others which could be evidence that you have COVID, it's important to get tested. I've run across many people who have just assumed if they have those kind of symptoms, they probably just have a cold and aren't getting tested. But get tested, it still matters. The other thing to know, uh, Major, and this is a result of a recent change uh, in the CDC guidance is that if you are fully vaccinated and you have contact with somebody who has COVID-19, it's important for you to get tested even if you don't have symptoms, uh, because we know asymptomatic infections can happen uh, and in a small portion of people who get fully vaccinated may have breakthrough infections. So we've got to test more. Uh, remember that if you have symptoms or if you have contact with someone who's been sick. Back to vaccines. Uh, the CDC has just recently advised pregnant women to get vaccinated. Why is that a good idea? And for those who are in our audience who are breastfeeding mothers, should they take the vaccine or have any concerns about the vaccine and their breastfeeding habits with their children? Well, Major, you know, as a dad of a really young parents, I still very vividly remember the days when my wife Alice was pregnant and how careful we were uh, about her health and her well-being and what, what she put into her body. And that's why the recent announcement and the data that the CDC has been collecting about the effect of the vaccine in pregnant women has been so important. Because what it has now showed is that women who received the vaccine both in early and late stages during pregnancy actually do quite well. Their health and their health of their developing child uh, is actually protected and preserved. And protected is important because here's the other thing we know. 
which is that the risk of getting COVID if you are pregnant uh, is significant. Your chances of being hospitalized are higher. Your chances of needing mechanical ventilation are higher and being in an ICU are higher. And the chances of preterm labor and preterm birth are also higher. These are significant risks. So I would say if you're pregnant, not only is it a good idea to get the vaccine on the basis of safety, but it's highly effective and important because you are at increased risk of bad outcomes if you do get COVID. And finally, if you're a breastfeeding mom, uh, not only does everything we know suggest that the vaccine is still safe and effective within you, but we know that when, uh, when breastfeeding moms have antibodies, they can pass those antibodies on uh, to their baby, which means you're taking some of the protection that your immune system develops uh, to protect you against the virus, and you're passing that on uh, to your newborn child. So that's an, yet another reason to get vaccinated. And the CDC guidance from today just cements that, emphasizing that if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, it's a good idea to get vaccinated. And just a quick reminder to our audience, because this show lives on for many, many days, today is a reference to August 11th. A couple more school-related questions for you, Dr. Morthy. How should parents think about this idea of sending their children back to classrooms where they have a mask and they're comfortable with it, but several children in and around them may not be wearing masks. How should they figure that out? Parents and children. Yeah, you know, I, I really sympathize with parents who are struggling with this because there are parts of our country where mask mandates have been put in place in schools and uh, in some places even vaccine requirements for all folks who are working uh, in schools. And so parents can have a high degree of confidence that there's protection for their kids. But if you're in a school where there isn't a mask requirement, then a lot of people may not be wearing a mask, then you know, the simple truth is there is increased risk in that environment. If you should make sure your child wears a mask, that's one way of reducing risk. But we know that the greatest risk reduction you get is when everyone is wearing a mask, uh, including those who are potentially infected. So look, this is a, a time where we've got to take every precaution we can to protect our kids in terms of their mask wearing, their hands uh, hygiene, them spending as much of their time uh, during the school day outdoors as possible, whether it's during lunchtime or elsewhere. It's also a time where parent advocacy uh, and it is so important, making sure your school hears from you as a parent that you want these precautions, these layers of precautions to be taken, whether that's masking and distancing or whether it's ventilation and testing, all important parts of the safety layers. Um, but it's important that they hear from you because we can't be too careful when it comes to protecting our kids, especially in the face of a more transmissible variant like Delta. And picking up on your observation about the relative risks involved, how should parents think about the other part of the school experience, which is clubs, extracurricular activities, or athletics? Hmm. Well, one of the things that's important to, to know from our prior experience is that when we saw spread in schools, it was often uh, actually had to do with, with sports. When kids were together in close settings, often without masks on and, and for prolonged periods of time. And so, especially with a dangerous variant spreading quickly, I think parents have to be aware that there is an increased risk uh, that their child may contract COVID if they are participating in sports that don't have mask usage and that involve a lot of prolonged close contact. Uh, so it's something to, to consider. It's something we've seen before. And again, given a lot of the unknowns around COVID, even though kids do much better than older adults do, you know, my, my belief is that parents should be informed about what we know and what we don't know and that this is a time where it's worth being cautious. And when you talk to audiences, Dr. Morthy, and there is this question raised, look, I have a freedom to fill in the blank. I have a freedom not to be vaccinated. I have a freedom not to wear a mask. 
I want to convey that freedom to my child. These freedoms outweigh, in my mind, everything else you're telling me. What is your reply to that? Well, I certainly do think that freedom is a bedrock value uh, of our community, and it's important, and we've got to protect that. Uh, But what we also have to be mindful of is that we don't live in isolation. We live in a community. And there are times where our actions can potentially harm the people around us. We don't drive 120 miles an hour on the freeway because that puts other people at risk. Uh, And we don't say, well, it's our freedom to drive however we want, so we should be able to do that. Uh, We recognize that community safety is important. When it comes to things like wearing a mask, especially when you're around other people, especially those who are unvaccinated, like young kids, that same principle, I believe, is important to recognize that, yes, we can make decisions on our own, but when other people's help is impacted by our decisions, that's when we have to take extra caution. That's when we have to raise the bar uh, on what we choose to do uh, and what we decide as a community to do because our public safety depends on it. And pandemics are just a simple and powerful and recurrent example of that. But it's not up to each of us just to keep ourselves safe. We've all got to take steps recognizing until we get through this together, uh, the pandemic is going to persist. Are booster shots inevitable? I do think it's very likely we're going to need booster shots. I think the question is what uh, you know groups of people should get them and what time frame should be used uh, to administer them. Uh, and those questions are actually going to, I believe, come into uh, more clear focus very soon. We are, you know, every day getting more and more information and data from our experience in the U.S., from other companies, from other countries, uh, about uh, the experience uh, with cohorts or groups of patients they're following to understand how durable and lasting the protection of the vaccines is. And so, but with all of that, I think what we're seeing is pointing to the fact that uh, there are boosters, or I think what's more accurately should be referred to as third shots, um, you know, if you've gotten an mRNA vaccine or second shots, if you've gotten the J&J vaccine, that these will likely be required. I think it's just a matter of time and we're figuring out that time frame. And the 30 seconds before we go to break, and I emphasize 30 seconds, Dr. Morthy, will that influence our ability to export vaccine supplies globally? Should we hold on to vaccine supplies to make sure we have enough for boosters? Well, we absolutely have to make sure that if boosters are required, that we have the supply and the distribution ability to make sure people in this country get the maximal protection that they require. But I don't think we have to necessarily choose between that and vaccinating the world. We can build, and as we're working on now, manufacturing capacity elsewhere in the world, work with companies to expand their production, because we've got to help vaccinate the the world as we work to vaccinate our country. Dr. Vivek Morthy, more on our conversation with him. I promised you one segment that's non-COVID related that's coming up. Stay tuned for that. I'm Major Garrett. The Takeout continues. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. 
From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Our special guest, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morthy. Doctor, I promised you questions that are not COVID-related, so here's the first one. In the spring of this year, the Biden administration laid the foundation, it's an important phrase, to eliminate menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars. Why is that important? Well, menthol is a, an important component of some cigarettes and cigars. And we know that it's an important factor that leads uh, people, including young people, to use uh, cigarettes and cigars and helps maintain, if you will, uh, a dependence uh, on those cancer-causing and disease-causing substances. So that's why acting on menthol is actually very important. It's something the public health community has called for for many many years. And it's high time that we took action because by doing so, we can not only help uh, reduce uh, people's dependence and use of tobacco-related products, but most importantly, we can save lives at a time where tobacco-related deaths still uh, account for, again, nearly 500,000 people in our country every year uh, losing their lives. So we've got to remember that, especially despite everything else we're dealing with, tobacco is still one of the leading causes of death and disease in America, and menthol is one of the reasons for it. With your indulgence, doctor, accept the premise of this question. The premise is this. Person A is a smoker. Just accept that as a premise. Is it more healthful for that person who is a smoker to smoke tobacco or marijuana? Well, we certainly know that from when it comes to smoking, that it is tobacco related products uh, that have been the most studied and most clearly understood to cause disease and death. And so from a, a pure you know, health risk perspective, uh, I would say we know far more about the, the health harms of tobacco. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, marijuana is benign. Uh, we, we know that there are health risks uh, to marijuana as well. And I mentioned that because it's important as we think about subjects like marijuana, that we take a science-based approach to this. So we, we open our eyes and clearly see what the potential risks are and, and how big they are, how small they are, and then make public policy decisions accordingly. My worry has been many times, I, I believe, over the recent years that in our rush to move forward legislation on uh, marijuana, I worry that we haven't taken enough time to truly understand what science tells us about the potential harms and potential benefits of marijuana. What does the science tell us and what risks are you worried about? Well, we know that there are some circumstances where, uh, where marijuana and derivatives, I should say, of marijuana can be helpful for certain medical symptoms like nausea or pain. And what we've got to understand uh, more clearly is how to make, uh, you know, sort of, the, you know, sort of marijuana derivatives available to patients for those symptoms in a way that is both safe uh, and, again, effective. Um, but what we also know in terms of harms is we know that for a portion of people who use marijuana, uh, that it can be uh, addictive. And we know that the likelihood of it being addictive increases uh, if you begin marijuana use at a young age. Um, that's important to know because at a time where we're dealing with an addiction crisis in our country to a variety of substances, including opioids, uh, it's important that we take every step to both not only treat uh, addiction disorders, but prevent them whenever we can. When you talked about derivatives, are you mentioning, because I want to make sure I've got this right, CBD? Because as you know, doctor, many celebrities, athletes have endorsed CBD oil. Is that what you're talking about when you're talking about marijuana, marijuana derivatives? So that is one type of, of derivative. There are also, you know, other medications that have actually been formulated from other components of marijuana. But yes, uh, that, that would be one example. And risks you're worried about there? Yes or no? Well, I, look, I think with all of these uh, these substances, if we want to make them available for the population to use at large, then 
we should put them through a, a thoughtful review process. The good news is the FDA has a good review process that it's been using successfully for years to evaluate a number of medications that we use every day uh, for patients. And I think that's a pathway that would make sense to use if we want to make these substances available for medical use. So, uh, doctor, is drinking more than 10 cups of coffee a day unhealthful? Uh, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, get, I hear a lot of questions from very passionate coffee drinkers out there who, who want to know that, uh, that their coffee habit is okay. Um, this is a really, really good know. friend of mine, Dr. Morthy. I want you to understand. <laughs> Somebody you know very well, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think, you know, in general, I think we don't see, uh, you know, hugely harmful effects from, uh, you know, from coffee from, you know, you know, when we look at studies overall, but, you know, I think if you're drinking 10 cups of coffee, that does sound like a lot. And I would, I'd want to know if I was your doctor a little bit about how it may uh, be impacting you just in terms of your energy, your sleep in particular, we know caffeine has a real effect on people's sleep and sleep is extraordinarily important for the rest of your health. Um, so I have a few questions I want to ask you if I was your doctor major. <laughs> Very good. Uh, this is a real question. That was a real question too. But uh, one of the things that we have noted in both the literature and anecdotal conversations during the pandemic is that Americans consumed more alcohol. As I've read a lot about alcohol use and diseases, heart disease, cancer, various types of liver disorders. Do we talk in this country enough and seriously enough about alcohol and lots of chronic diseases and their relationship to one another? Well, Major, I think we need to talk more about alcohol and the related illnesses that it causes, and not just physical illnesses. I'm talking about the broader impact that has on people's mood, on their relationships with their family and their friends, on their life more broadly. And the reason I think we have to talk about it is twofold. One, because as you mentioned, during this pandemic, uh, we have seen more people who have experienced increased and unhealthy patterns uh, of alcohol use. But even before the pandemic began, Major, for many people, the idea that alcohol was a problem had increasingly sort of moved off the radar. Uh, we were focused on the opioid epidemic uh, and related challenges around, um, around meth and, and other substances of concern, e-cigarettes. But we have forgotten that some of the issues we've been dealing with for years, like cigarettes, traditional cigarettes and alcohol, still continue to drive a significant loss of life, uh, disability, and healthcare costs. And so I do think we've got to talk more about alcohol. It's one of the reasons why when I was Surgeon General the first time in 2016, I published the first Surgeon General's report on alcohol, drugs, and health. It wasn't just about drugs and health. It was about alcohol as well, because we have an ongoing challenge uh, with alcohol. I've run into too, so many young people uh, you know, who tell me that uh, the pain that they're experiencing from this pandemic, the the challenges that they were even experiencing even before the pandemic, that alcohol sometimes is something they turn to to just numb that pain and, and dampen uh, the suffering uh, that they're going through. And while that is very understandable, uh, I think it's worrisome when we have many people using alcohol uh, in ways that can ultimately harm them and the people around them. So yes, we need to talk more about alcohol. We need to understand more about the impact it's, it's having on our society and how to reduce that so we can ultimately encourage safe and responsible alcohol use. And in the last 30 seconds on this, Dr. Morthy, as I read the literature, alcohol is really there with a lot of chronic illnesses. It's not the main cause, but it's not incidental to a lot of things we worry about. Yes, and, and I know this isn't always the most welcome uh, conversation for some, but the, the more we look at the science, and again, not at 
someone's biased view of it, not somebody's opinion, but at what the data is telling us, uh, we do learn more uh, about the relationship between alcohol use uh, and a number of illnesses uh, that we care about. And so, you know, that is partly why we have to have a broader conversation, I believe, about alcohol, because we've learned a lot more in the last 10 years, not just from our research, but from research around the world. We've got to apply that to our current life and practices. Voice of U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morthy. Dr. Morthy, thank you so much for our radio audience. We have to say farewell for those on podcast platforms. We love you. And CBSN, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Our special guest this week, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morthy. Dr. Morthy, we have three threshold questions we have asked every single guest on this program for the better part of four and a half years. Our audience loves the answers. I hope you like the question. So, in whichever order you prefer, Dr. Morthy, most influential book in your life? All-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies? And if you're on a long flight or a long drive and you have control of the music, which may not always be true, I grant you, but if you do have control of the music, what kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to? Ah, that's a good question. Um, well, I would say most influential book, uh, Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. I would say... Um, let me stop you right there. Why that book? What, what, it, what about that book is influential to you? Well, I read it when I was a first year medical student, when I was going through uh, a real crisis of, of, of meaning, a spiritual crisis, if you will, trying to figure out what to do with my life and um, where to find purpose and meaning. And that book really helped anchor me in a broader sense of purpose and helped me uh, clarify and uh, define I would say, in a, uh, a much more meaningful way, my relationship with God. Excellent. Uh, movie or, and uh, music? So a movie, I would say, Love Actually, uh, a movie which uh, makes me laugh every time I watch it, but which is also filled with, I think, deep wisdom about the power of love, compassion, generosity, and friendship. And in terms of music, uh, I would say, if I was on a plane, I would listen probably to I'd say a couple of, uh, come to mind. One is uh, U2, which is one of my favorite uh, all-time bands. Um, one of the best concerts I ever went to. And uh, I'd go anywhere to, to go to another U2 concert if I could. Um, and the other is George Winston, who is a, a pianist, who is just, his, his music puts me in a serene, peaceful uh, place uh, in, in whenever I listen to it. So those two would be my go-tos. It will probably come as no surprise to you, Dr. Morthy, that the two most frequently mentioned artists in the music category on this program are Bruce Springsteen and you too. Before I let you go, because you're an expert in this world, is there or has there been either a TV show or movie that you think gets medicine most right? Oh, gosh, that's so interesting. Um... Well, you know, there, there was an, a show that used to be on called Scrubs, which uh, some folks Love may it. remember. I know dating myself here a little bit. Uh, Scrubs to many people was uh, about slapstick comedy and seemed absurd. But the, the absurdity and, and the craziness of the day-to-day -day actually did mirror much of what medical training was like, where the unexpected seemed to happen all the time, uh, where you would have just experiences which you feel like could be a movie uh, if somebody just had the time to make them into one. Um, you always had stories to tell your family and, and your friends. So I would say Scrubs. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned Scrubs because I'm a big fan of that show. Not only is it really, really funny, 
but it has tremendous emotional weight episode to episode. It does not go lightly on the pathos of medicine, life, death, and lots of choices in between. That's exactly right. And the other thing that Scrubs really, I think, emphasizes is that your relationships with your colleagues, with the nurses and fellow doctors in the hospital, like that is so important to get you through training and get you through the difficulty of the day-to-day. And the line between work and your life at home is so blurred when you're in medical training because it's like you're at work all the time. When you're not at work, you're often hanging out with people who you were with at work just a few hours ago. So those worlds really blend together. But the relationships are so key to powering you through those challenging experiences. U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morthy, thanks so much for your time. It's been a great pleasure. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.